and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human. I'm the editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Stephen Wilmot, Companies Editor. How are you doing, Stephen? Very well, John. Good. Bradley Gerard, how are you? I'm very good. I go on holiday after today, so I'm in tip-top mood. Good. Glad to hear it. Where are you going? Here we're nice. Um, home for a week and then Fertiventura. Lovely. Lovely. Bit of sun. Yeah. Uh, Graham, over in the How are you doing, Graham? Hello, John. Very well. Good. Good. So, uh, an exciting week this week. Uh, certainly in the news section, um, obviously, we have had a an enormous revelation, a big scandal brewing over in Germany, Volkswagen. So uh, we'll come on to that in a minute. We're going to talk about the cover feature, which, uh, Stephen, you uh, you kind of coordinated this week, which mm. is about Generation Z or millennials and Generation Z. So how the youth uh, and their changing habits are affecting the way we look at some of the companies we cover. OK, well, I mean, we may as well go back to, to the news section and, uh, and Volkswagen. And actually, Stephen, as you pointed out earlier, we've got a bit of a car-themed uh, results section this week as well. Mm, absolutely. AA. One of the larger companies to have reported last week. Yeah, so uh, driving. Who could have thought that a scandal, uh, potentially on the scale of the banking scandal that we've had over the past few years, could have emerged from something as humble as the as the automobile? But it seems to be heading that way. Brandy, yeah, it what's does. Going I mean, on? Well, yeah, as you say, it's a big, a big scandal which um, quickly engulfed the chief executive of Volkswagen, who um, decided to resign. Um, With a little bit of hesitation, I hesitate. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I mean, I guess he's probably a bit annoyed that this um, scandal started in the US, although just before I came down, it does seem actually that there seem to be reports out of Germany that emissions uh, tests are also potentially cheated in Europe too. So, mm. yeah, it's... it's going from bad to worse I mean we were kind of talking upstairs about as you say it's potentially a very big crisis and it's hard to maybe call the bottom of this because while a a large slug of the market cap has come off the company you just don't know how far this is going to roll 23 billion euros yeah. I, I just made the calculation just before coming down. Yeah, so so Monday, Tuesday, when, when this story started to break, I think over the two days it was down about 40%, and then it bounced yeah. back on Wednesday. So I guess a lot of people thought, well, this you know, it's yeah. containable. It bounced back marginally. I mean, I think that the issue is that, um, um, yeah, so in the US there's a body called the EPA, and um, they're not afraid of fining people. Yeah, so Although, that's the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, it is. Um, but um, I, I've spoken to a few fund managers about their view on VW managers that hold it, and um, there's, I mean, I suppose one thing to say is that although it sounds a bit bleak, um, you know, Volkswagen hasn't killed anyone, which you know, actually GM did with its ignition fault and got fined not as much as people originally. I'm gonna have to kind of, I'm gonna have to pick you up on that, right? For a couple of reasons. So one, neither did the banks, but we didn't hesitate to massively find them. Pollution is a big issue. Mm. Diesel cars already under the spotlight for, for for the environmental damage that they do. Car pollution is thought to be a big killer. You know, not not easy to measure, but it is thought to be a big killer. And gaming emissions tests on this scale is producing a lot more pollution than they're admitting to in the first place. It could actually have killed people. The health implications should not be dismissed. And my point of view is that that's why I don't think they'll get away with this lightly. And that's sure. why the EPA are yeah. interested as well. And on the per- you know, I, I kind of agree with that view, but just um, you know, a couple of fund managers I have spoken to, they've they literally said those words. They haven't actually killed anyone. Which is I just don't agree with it. Well, that's <laughs> fine. But it, it does it does kind of come out to the point that while there are these massive numbers of like a potential $18 billion fine being imposed, mm. it just seems a, f- a fine of that scale is very unlikely to happen. Um, I mean, in the US, obviously, you've got a lot of lobbies. There is probably a very powerful motor lobby 
that will be very keen to protect the interests of, although Volkswagen's a small part of the market share in the US, they'll be keen to protect the industry. Of course they will. So in the UK, the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders came out very quickly and said, you know, any speculation that this may be an industry-wide problem is is wider than mark. You know, it's a problem with the emissions testing process in Europe and it needs changing. So a lot of people have said that, but Mm. you know, of course the the, the industry, the lobbies are going to come out and say this is not a, a wide, wide scale problem. But yeah. we've known for years that the kind of efficiency, miles per gallon, you know, emission stuff you see on uh, the specs when you buy a car are nowhere near what you get in reality. And, you know, perhaps people are starting to join the dots and say, hang on a minute. I think so. And there are a few more bearish points that the fund managers did point out. Um, like Giles Worthington at Smith & Williamson, who I spoke to, did point to the fact that, OK, we're probably likely to see increased regulation, at least, if not legislation in some mm. of the countries um, involved here. There's potential for an increase in R&D spend for car companies because if they're catalytic converters aren't actually doing the work they're supposed to if they're having well they can't the catalytic converter is not what creates the emissions it's what deals with them so i guess uh well whichever whichever way you kind of yeah the thing that either creates it or the thing that deals with it that must potentially have to be improved if we're in a situation where a major car company had to use additional technology to make it meet standards so from whichever end you come at the emissions thing there probably is likely to be an increase in spend for car manufacturers potentially is one manager's view okay so so you know taking that a step forward in terms of uh, thinking about how this might impact the stock market. Mm. Uh, so forget about Volkswagen. I, you know, I, I suspect not a huge number of our readers will actually hold that, although they may hold it indirectly in European funds if they if they hold them. Um, but for the UK car industry, potentially quite good news because actually what we're good at is supplying the components that make these things that that, that potentially will clean up these cars that that, that will provide the R and D expertise. Well, Ricardo is the obvious company to single out there. Yeah. They've been doing environmental car technology for for years. So who knows? They could they could see a benefit as some of this extra R and D spending goes to to Ricardo. I mean, the, the the obvious victim of this in the UK is Johnson Matty, which makes catalytic converters, and that's a big part of its profits. Mm. I think I read about half of its profits, and and the diesel ones are particularly lucrative, and I. I understand that the one of the hopes driving that stock had been that diesel would gain more market share in the US, but obviously that that doesn't look like it's going to be the case now. No, it's and I mean this is an interesting like, thing about the European yeah. car industry. It's it's very heavily diesel. skewed towards mm. diesel cars and diesel technology. Um, and as I said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, diesel had already there were already question marks about it. So as readers and listeners may have heard. Uh, ad nauseum. I bought a new car this year, and we 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 you know looked at you know shall we go diesel, shall we go petrol, and you know just did a bit of research, which I'm inclined to do to the nth degree when I'm buying anything, no matter how <laughs> cheap it is or how small. You know, they, I started to worry about diesel. It seems my fears were not entirely unjust. You you had the same thoughts that you go. Yeah, yeah, we thinking. looked at diesel um, because uh, you know from the the, the the figures in the in the book. Miles per gallon, they they look efficient. They look like you save money on uh, on, on on fuel costs. Yeah, but. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so the big worry is that I mean, this but is a huge blow for the European car industry as a whole because of the because of the investment that's been made in diesel. Um, and you know, one of the things that the European car industry has been quite successful in doing, perhaps in a way that the American car industry is not, is going into China. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, that that's true. I mean, the the VW thing has brought other sort of stocks down. One thing that is actually interesting, uh, again, to mention Giles Worthington, that's with Williamson. He actually had VW as his top holding just a couple of months ago, but Ouch. had well, he had actually halved it before this scandal. Not because obviously he knew what was coming, but because he was fearful about the ability of VW to leverage 
um, you know, sales into China. It was, mm. He was worried about the Chinese economy. And obviously, that was a big catalyst for him buying the stock initially. Became a bit more bearish. The shares on that have prospect. been weakening for, you know, since, yeah. Yeah. since yeah, the true. spring. But that's, um, that's the China the, economy because thing. Of yeah, the China, exactly. Yeah, because of the, the China, China angle. Story, yeah. So, as you say, but they have been very successful, European car manufacturers, in gaining market share in China. But the mm. economy there has, has led to a pairing back of that story recently. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. And, you know, you say that the fine of 18 billion seems perhaps a little bit fanciful. But, you know, I read uh, this morning as we were kind of, as I was reading around the story, that UK lawyers have been deluged by calls from diesel, you know, VW diesel car owners wondering what their position is. Because, you know, mm. think about if you've bought a diesel car on the basis that it's it's cleaner and, and, and drives yeah. further and, and, and suddenly you find out that it doesn't, that you've been lied to in your marketing. There are potentially huge class action lawsuits. It does seem like there are very open-ended liabilities, which I think is why it's worth exploring the parallel with BP, which is the other company that, you know, another company that had an environmental disaster with with the potential for massive open-ended liabilities. And I was looking at the the BP share share price graph, and the thing is, if you, okay, forgetting this year, which obviously the past year and the weakening oil price has obviously massively hit BP's shares, which are now at 320 uh, 4p but in 2010 they plunged from about 650p to 300p in a few months and if you'd bought at the bottom then you'd have made money so the, there was obviously the same camp at the time of the B- Deepwater Horizon which mm. said oh no it's a great opportunity to buy into BP but the problem was it wasn't obvious where the bottom was so there were plenty of falls I mean just as we're seeing with VW you know is this the end Do, you know or will you know some you know, revelations that the French government is suing Volkswagen or whatever will will further revelations and further news flow prompt further falls in the stock and it's just the problem with saying oh it's great buying opportunities it's just yeah well you can look you can look back in hindsight and say oh well it would have been if you'd gotten at the bottom but you never know where the bottom is until it arrives yeah so. I prefer things when they're coming back up yeah. but, you know <laughs> and uh, there is a confirmed uptrend but uh, but yeah I mean that would be my view on yeah, and in fact just, I'd, I'd stay clear of the, the automotive industry if people want for to for a while yeah because if, I, I think you know we just don't know how far this could spread I think you it really might know. be worth now, if you if people really do want to get speculative on it and buy into the story i think they should explore ways to buy the debt because i think it's fairly clear the vw isn't going to go under it, yeah, it, it has an awful lot of cash from yeah. what i understand a hell of a lot of cash uh, and it's its owners are you know the lower state of saxony is a massive owner um yeah it's way too politically important in germany to go under um i, I read a note from uh, julius bear this morning saying from their fixed income guys saying much the same thing good yeah. time to buy the debt uh, and so if you're making that kind of binary call, is it going to survive? And you think, yes, it is going to survive. And that does seem like a pretty high probability. Then, And you don't want to take on the uncertainty surrounding you know, these endless liabilities, then buying the debt you know, is not a bad idea. Mm. But anyway, that's, that's quite <laughs> tricky. That's quite tricky. You haven't convinced John there yet. Yeah, well, really, no. it's, it's, a, it's a good suggestion, though. It's but it's quite, it's, it's quite a tricky um, thing for retail investors to do, rather annoyingly. So I think um, so, you know. I have to look into... How, I, how they do that. <laughs> I would not be so sure that, that this doesn't mark the end of, of this company in the current form that it exists in. Gosh. Wow. Bold call. Yeah. It's bad stuff. This is bad stuff. It is this huge. This is absolutely despicable. It's deceit on a global scale. It's and, absolutely well, I think, despicable. I think that, that point and, about that global scale is quite important because although BP, for example, 
you know, it was facing the most aggressive court system in the world in the US. At mm. least it was only facing one. Yeah, and, and the UK <laughs> banks, you know, okay, so yeah, they, they right. have a dress over in, in the US as well as in the UK, but we, we kind of knew sort of where yeah, the well, the, well, though LIBOR has a kind of global dimension, which is also quite worrying. Yeah, yeah. But B- BP was a one-off black swan event. It was a blow-up of a rig. This is something that was, that was deliberately done to game well, the system. Yeah, there's, that, there's a deliberate thing too. But I mean, in terms of the, li- the environmental liabilities, hmm. it's, it's not dissimilar. No, but reputationally, I think it's terrible. Yeah, and, and that's another point is that actually BP doesn't really have a consumer brand as such. I don't think people actually, I mean, it, it, it kind of does, but it, people aren't going to kind of avoid... Even in the US, people weren't avoiding pet BP uh, gas, uh, stations. gas stations. Gas stations, <laughs> um, you know, because go to the S, you know, the what, what the Texaco one down the, the street, just because it was BP. Whereas actually, with Volkswagen, when you've got an easy, you know, there's a there's a there's a much wider range of brands, and and it'd be very easy for people to simply to avoid uh, VW. There's a vast range of brands. I mean, you've got things like uh, Seat, Skoda. Um, and I've look, I looked at Sayets because their miles per gallon on their diesel people carriers were, were ridiculous. And now I know why. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not as confident that uh, the, the, the repercussions for Volkswagen will not be life-threatening for it. Mm. And I, I mean, what I wanted to add, actually, that I found the idea that the chief executive, who didn't go for a while, it has to be said, he didn't fall on his sword immediately. He waited um, for the EGM. He... he Claimed no knowledge of this. Now, you and, know, and that I, he's I, not that he's not at fault at all. Not at fault at all. I'm going to revert to my, my normal position on chief execs who, <laughs> who oversee crises. If they don't know, they're incompetent. If they do know, they're criminals. Um, and and it, either way, they don't earn their well, money. The, 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 <laughs> are there, on, on the on the the governance side, there's a very interesting story here because I mean it, probably UK stock pickers won't have been following what's been going on at VW but it's actually there's been a kind of interesting story brewing for a while because their chairman um, resigned in May basically over his opposition to Vinterkorn they had a kind of it was completely unclear what the disagreement was about but Martin Vinterkorn basically won that debate and so the chairman resigned and they announced a couple of months ago that he would be replaced by the CFO, rather unusually, stepping over the CEO to become the chairman. And at the time, people were thinking, oh, is it really good that another insider, you know, German companies are famous for promoting insiders and for this kind of like back-scratching corporate governance culture, um, of which this was a, which was a classic example. And the former chairman was the patriarch. He'd been there forever. Uh, anyway, the, so the, this, the interesting question is, does the fact that Winterkorn has gone pave the way for the patriarch to return presumably it's going to be impossible to maintain this insiders get all the top jobs now, sounds, sounds anyway so there's a big there's a there's an interesting management shake-up element yeah well, i mean uh, well, i don't know i yeah, i wasn't i wasn't witness to it. i wasn't privy to what happened there and in fact I've, i have read that there were criticisms of the lack of transparency in the way many german companies are actually run well, well exactly which is quite interesting yeah and it, um, not not least because of this issue where the cfo becomes the chairman and you know in in the uk i mean we criticize it in the uk too where one city bigwig goes you know holds like two or three board positions and it's all very kind of it all seems like a kind of city club yeah. But in a way, that's better than this kind of very closed corporate culture where people don't go from one company to the, another that easily and you get insiders promoted. Yeah, that sounds... Uh, anyway, it's, it's, sounds, it sounds messy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not the greatest corporate governance. And uh, yeah, my, my views on management are not 
not that warm anyway at the time. So um, yeah, another another disaster. Thank you very much. And that's going to cost a, a lot of people a lot of money. A lot of small shareholders will be caught up in this, as they mm. were in the banks, as they were in, in you know many other uh, circumstances where management shortcomings and you know perhaps they'd taken their eye off the ball while they were power playing there at, at the board. Um, perhaps he didn't know because he was too busy. Yeah, uh, playing, playing power games. Fighting with the chairman, quite. Yeah. Absurd. Is that enough? I'm sure this is a story that is going to evolve. It's going to go on and on, on, isn't it? I think for today, let's, let's move on, shall we? It makes me genuinely angry, as I'm sure. <laughs> I, 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 that's why I want to move <laughs> on. I'm getting worried <laughs> so close to you. Um, okay. Um, what else have we got going on in the news? Well, we could jump uh, to uh, mm, a, the, the results. The car well, let's, let's, let's keep to the car theme before we come back to the news. I'm not going to forget stuff this week, uh, Bradley. Uh, so, AA, because uh, yep, it's a- not been on the market for, for too long. No, no, it only um, listed last year. But look at that graph. It's not been great <laughs> no it's basically back where it floated at it sort of rose from um from about 300 300p to about 400 odd and then it's it's come back um yeah the shares fell on the news um i mean the funny thing is basically that the the reason the, the the executive chairman bob mckenzie thinks that the shares fell is because he he put in this little rant about higher insurance insurance premium tax right um which was a it was a recent recent thing, and um, I think he sort of feels as in his position heading the AA he has to stand up for the British motorist. So he put in this little kind of thing about high taxes in the way that Tim Martin at Weatherspoons always talks mm. about pubs. He said anything uh, about emissions yeah. test gaming? <laughs> well, this, was, this was before. <laughs> this was last end of last week. Anyway, I, I find it slightly unlikely that that's why the why the market sold off. The shares, just because they basically there was a lot of attention drawn to this issue of the um, insurance premium tax. Doesn't seem to be growing very fast. Might might be one accusation levelled at it, on a top line or bottom. Line yes, level. which is actually quite surprising because people have been driving more um, because of the low petrol price. Um, oh, he went back to that one again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but spewing diesel emissions into yeah. the atmosphere. <laughs> As a non-car owner, I, I don't, I find it hard to share your anger, John. But um, I, I mean, I, I definitely you forget. You're, you're cycling. The, the, I mean, you cycle. Yeah, no, I cycle. You're breathing in the it in. No, it's no, absolutely. For you. No, yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. I, no, I, I do, I do understand. I just don't have the visceral connection to to cars. You as a visceral, mem- as a member of the visceral connection to health. As a member uh, of the the millennial generation, you see, this isn't my product. But maybe we'll come on to that later. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yes, why is AA uh, not exactly flavour of the month at the moment? Um, yeah, well, it, it's had these higher garaging costs and, and it's had to up its advertising spending to get back in people's consciousness. I mean, I think one of the... the basically, when they came came to market, they complained that they'd been... Um, you know, that their costs had been um, continually cut by their pre- previous private equity owner and basically they hadn't been able to invest in this um, revered... British brand, and that the, you know the, the the flotation paved the way for a you know a recovery in their in you know in their market position. And I think the reality, which you know, well, it is a good story. I think the reality is that motor insurance has become ever more competitive, and it's it's and there's this as a result, there's been a lot of churn. And um, I mean, the guy wrote the story. Ian Smith was saying that his dad is a classic example of a guy who'd always been with the AA, but actually it sort of decided to go elsewhere. You know, when he looked at a price comparison website online and saw what they were charging, and you know, there is that risk that that churn basically will um, undermine their customer base. They upset me. 
<laughs> oh gosh, we've got another <laughs> another anecdotal uh, angle on stock well, picking. Listen, I, I, I've, I've broken down once in you know five or six years, and I've been a member of the AA for quite some time. Actually, joined when my car broke down previously, five or six years ago, and every year they'd renewed it automatically, and I broke down sometime last year. No, it was earlier this year, and uh, I rang them up, and they said, "No, you're not a customer, and your, your membership has lapsed." I was like, "What?" Um, so, so they hadn't. They'd stopped renewing it. They stopped renewing it. They stopped the auto renewal. They didn't send me a letter. Uh, they left me stranded up a hill in the middle of Essex. And <laughs> um, luckily, my bank through one of the packaged accounts, uh, I realised I had green flag cover. So AA will never get my business ever again. Well, this is a good example. Good example. Yeah. Yes, it's very easy to get cover. You know, exactly. it, it comes in so many different forms these days, and the price comparison websites make it also transparent. That you know, that's the problem for AA, I think. Yeah. I, on I, the I, other hand, SNU, you know, we have on a so we have AA on a whole, I should say, and SNU, which is next to it in the magazine, um, which does motor finance, is doing great guns because of this driving thing and also the you know easy credit market and so forth. So, yeah, so we talked about this last week yeah, that exactly. uh, within the general yeah. retail sector, cars have been doing especially well. And, so, uh, yeah. so yeah, but AA isn't, of that. isn't the way to play it. I guess is the the conclusion of this. Little <laughs> no, no, but it's but I mean, looking through this again, it is the insurance side of things that's the problem yeah. there, and we yeah. we, we yeah. talked about that too in recent weeks. Ad- Admiral and Direct Line have all been suffering. Tough yeah. on rates, tough tough rate environment there. Okay, um, I guess that's it from the car perspective this week should we uh, should we quickly turn back to news bradley and uh yeah sure i mean i i guess um again i'll probably keep this bit brief because we talk about china an awful lot but there was manufacturing data out of china it hit a six and a half year low um according to markets uh cakes and flash china general manufacturing purchasing managers index but we would expect that because they're rebalancing their economy from yeah i mean it, it makes sense industrial obviously. Base to, to a consumer base yeah it does make sense and uh, hopefully the sort of it's a managed decline rather than just a, a free for one but it is still important data to note and also it comes in a week when um our chancellor george osborne was over in china as well trying to sort of make sure that we're um you know first in mind when china does have some money to spend it's a big fan of china isn't he i mean he's big... got them involved now in hinkley points well yeah which is actually um again another bit of a segue into another story in news we yeah we did mention the hinkley point as well so the government's basically um launched this two billion loan guarantee so it seems that china's kind of investing in the hinkley point project and the government is effectively i guess guaranteeing that investment to a degree i don't quite the the full details details of it weren't particularly clear but in effect it kind of seems like george osborne's you know travel over to china has resulted in a deal which um you know, they've said, oh, please invest in it. The Chinese have, and the government have just probably said they'll back it, which I guess they're they're hoping won't, the, the money won't be needed, I, I'm you know, assuming. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I, if I China's going to pay $2 billion, I'm sure it can afford that, and George Osborne's probably pretty certain of that. So it's easy for him to say, well, I'll guarantee it because I'm sure China will pay it. Okay. Perhaps, you know, I'm just pontificating <laughs> there. Um, he's also, I think this week, he, he uh, he's suggesting the Chinese invest in the high-speed rail links that are going up as well. So, so yeah, I think uh, he's, he, you know, he's, he knows where he wants the cash to Yeah, I mean, China's, so. still, China's economy might be slowing, but it still has a lot of money. And I think um, there is a bit of a scramble among, you know, Western nations whose economies are kind of kind of going the right direction but slowly yeah and i think you know it's going to be important in a few years time to be good friends with china and, and court their investments so. we already are um we also talk about china in the apple piece uh in the new spotlight this week uh because obviously what happens in china is very important for apple um it's a big potential growth market for them 
Yeah, it is. I mean, we've kind of talked about um, Apple and China before. I think it was a few weeks ago. Apple came out and said, actually, in spite of the big market falls in China, you know, we haven't seen, well, at the time, it hadn't seen its um, sales impacted. That was kind of talking about July and August trade. Now there's a bit more sort of um, focus on Apple because I think it's tomorrow, actually. It launches its mm. 6S. Um, I'm not I'm not an <laughs> Apple person, so I don't really uh, follow this uh, as much as the my colleague, Theron, who's written the piece does. Um, so, yeah, new product out tomorrow which obviously is key key to the apple story i mean it, it lives or dies by its uh, new products so um that's one to watch obviously although it is a u.s stock um i mean we do cover apple and it's uh, still on a long-term uh, buy for us but there are some uk companies which um you know whose fortunes do kind of rest on how well apple does and those are listed in the article they include arm which is a microchip designer and so yeah there are there are kind of ways to play the apple story with uk-based stocks if you don't want to buy um, Apple itself. As we discussed last week, the retailers as well, Dixon's, Dixon's mm. Carphone and uh, Argos are all quite exposed to that, that product cycle, the tech product cycle, and I guess they'll be looking forward to a new new device as well, given uh, certainly Argos's recent trading well, absolutely. for home retail. Yeah, they'll be okay. hoping it'll push their Christmas sales, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, while we're on the subject of Apple, we might as well move on to the cover feature because... Mm. Apple is the must-have tool for the modern generation. Uh, and what we're talking about here is how, essentially, the generations that were born after mine and yours, Stephen? <laughs> well, Are you I, still young enough I, to call yourself a man? I was surprised to find that I am included in these, <laughs> really? this, de- this demographic label. Yeah, apparently people born after 1980, which only just includes me. Um, are millennials. So you're Generation Y. Yeah, I'm Generation Y, exactly. Yeah, well, Graham and I, we, we, we're uh, much cooler than that. We're Generation X. Generation X. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, so this is talking about, I think what I'd hoped this feature did was kind of encourage people to think about how things are not static and mm. how, how demographic changes uh, really affect companies. Mm. Um, so, you know, this is not the answer to, to demographics. It's certainly not uh, a, a soup to nuts guide to the to, to generation and y and and z Mm. but i think it's really what i wanted to do as i said was just to give a flavor of how how things can change quite quickly over the course of a generation right and and you know you only have to look at the makeup of the stock exchange a generation ago to Mm. realize that this is something that chris dillow often writes about right that he thinks you have to you want to back the the field not the horse because the horses change and although however impregnable some company looks now volkswagen say um, Apple, <laughs> Apple, indeed, yeah, Facebook, whatever. Google is the obvious example. It, you know, it was only founded in what was it, two thousand and one? Yeah, um, which is utterly extraordinary. I always find. And well, let's not forget the iPhone was only launched in two thousand and seven. Or for Facebook, I mean, Facebook for yeah. me is an amazing example uh, of a company that you know, literally came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, and it's basically the kind of fabric by which many sort of new communities. Not the old ones that we might know about. Not the village, mm. the village hall of the parish council. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the board of governors at the school. The the online yeah. the online communities that a lot of people now live in. I mean, that is their life now for a lot of people, and it's you know, that change of behaviour has happened yeah. in a decade. Exactly. So, so I guess you yeah you only have to look at a generation ago what was what what the, the makeup of the stock exchange to realise that in a generation it's going to be different again and and how do you begin to think about that? Well, obviously it's highly speculative because the future is highly uncertain. But you know one way to think about it, I guess, is in terms of demographics and what the taste of the people you know who are now teenagers mm. is, and that that's what this feature is about. Yeah, and. 
we're focusing on on three sectors there's technology um and our te tech guy uh, who's certainly a millennial millennial himself and i think he's one of our younger youngest members of the, the company's is. team we always should have a young guy covering tech. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh jonas who's one of the more senior members of the uh, always have a senior guy covering <laughs> property <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is is writing the property angle, which is quite an interesting one because um, one of one of the um, obviously buy to let landlords have been major beneficiaries of the fact that the younger generation can't afford to, and in some many cases are happy not to get on the housing ladder in their twenties and sometimes you know early thirties in favour of renting much longer. So you actually have quite affluent people, of professionals, often in the in the um, private rented sector yeah well, this is, yeah. we spoke about this sort of offline as yeah. it were um but you know the the general story the kind of rhetoric out there is that general the current generation are being dealt a, a terrible blow by not being able to get onto the housing ladder uh, in the way that our parents generation mm. was and, and even to an extent ours perhaps mm. not quite as cheaply or easily but mm. you know we weren't excluded altogether whereas future generations those sort of approaching that age where they want to get into housing now just simply can't afford to do it in, in yeah. the areas they want to do it. And this, the, the idea, the, the story, the theme is that this is something that's being thrust upon them, renting, and that, uh, that, it, that it's a terrible thing. But actually, there are other aspects to it that I thought were quite interesting, that this is perhaps also, there's an element of choice in it. Yeah, I think there's an element of choice. I mean, funnily enough, surveys still suggest that everyone wants to buy a house or a home in the end. At the same time, yeah, people like the freedom to work abroad in their early years, they, the, the fact that Britain's member of the European Union, we have a single market for labour, means that people kind of travel around more than they used to and work abroad a bit more than they used to. Um, and urban living, you know, people want to go to London and um, experience that kind of mm. lifestyle, often four people crammed into a four-bedroom house rather than you know, four single people or couples or whatever. It's like, hutching. Anyway, it's just a different kind of, um, yeah, it's a different model. And it does mean that people often uh, end up seemingly buying property later. Well, Though it's, it's a bit unclear what the current, you know, the people in their 20s now, what they're going to do because... Live at home. <laughs> and I don't ever expect to get, get rid of my children. <laughs> um, which is why I'm building them an annex in the loft. Um, no, I mean, this is interesting. Uh, so, so actually it suggests that the whole clamour for more mm. homes to buy is perhaps wider than mark. What we perhaps need is more rental, uh, more rental property, yeah. affordable rental property. Yeah, well, that, and that I mean, suggests institutional involvement, really. Yes, I mean, well, that's something that we've written about a certain amount, you know, the institutional buy-to-let model. I mean, this, this, this is sort of going beyond the... The scope of this feature but i mean actually i think one the, there's another element to this feature which ties into this which is quite interesting which is that because people are used to living in bedrooms because housing costs have become so high people are used to living in bedrooms or one in a studio sort of kind of arrangements they don't have as much space for stuff like books or mm. dvds or cds and i think that's one of the drivers not the only driver one of the drivers behind another trend which we're looking at here which is the popularity popularity of renting stuff rather than buying it yeah so, and, so, so basically and, the end of know, ownership yeah the end of ownership so although people still aspire to own a home um the fact that if they do get one then it's likely to be quite small and um and and many won't and will simply live in quite temporary arrangements with friends moving around a certain amount means they just don't want to own all the stuff i mean they don't want to kind of move from north to south london you know three times in five years 
with their entire record LP collection the way that, you know, my father's generation... Well, Your father has 100 <laughs> records. <laughs> he has many, but I, I, I... Yeah, that's a loose estimate. I think you've done him a disservice. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't count that as a collection. I think I've got two and a half thousand. <laughs> I moved house in March and the, uh, the movers were not not very impressed when they saw well, it. And that's before they even got to the books. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just it, you know. But if you had a Kindle, if you, you know, if it were all electro electronic, then this wouldn't be such a headache. And I think, you know, I, 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 after I graduated from university, I moved abroad for a, a, f a few years. And that was one of the main reasons why I sort of ended up giving up on my CD collection because I just couldn't carry it everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love stuff. I'm, I'm so Generation X. <laughs> um, no, it is, it is fascinating. So I mean, we've seen you know over the course of the last few years, uh, a couple of companies succumb to these trends. HMV, HMV being the, the, the obvious, obvious example. example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could just couldn't move quick. I mean, partly that was because Amazon came along and really yeah. kind of ate their lunch. But also because you say people are, are buying less stuff. Waterstones game. Now game digital. They're game digital, yeah. I mean, they've come back as game digital, but they had to go bust as game. That's true. Whatever it was. That's true. Over over expansion of their physical estate, that, that was. Um, and also a downturn in the console cycle. Uh, a number of trends coming coming to a head. Um, and I guess this this whole generation said thing, as we've, we've called the, co the cover feature, is about the, the sort of co the coming together of a number of trends, sort of financial pressures and technological progress coming together to enable this generation to mm. behave in a different way. But it's, and, I, it is worth, you know, stressing that given that the iPhone was only launched in 2007, we're calling this the gateway millennial device. Who knows what, you know, the next few years will bring in terms of innovation, which could change the picture completely. I think the point is to to, to remain very open-minded about what you consider to be a long-term holding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, Apple, so the rumours would suggest, is working on a car at the moment. So well, uh, an, elect <laughs> an electric car, no problem what, with the mission. An electric there. car. What better time to disrupt the automobile? Motive, well, uh, they might tell you it's electric, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually got a, a huge V12 engine <laughs> back. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, and that's that could change things as well. And I've actually going back to cars, I've seen um, there's a great analyst note, and I can't remember who wrote it. I'm doing a massive disservice by not being able to name check him, but it's it's the same principle. It's the change in the structure of ownership of vehicles. Mm. You know, we still operate in the in the in the automotive sector, the same model we've we've had since Henry Ford, which is. Car is made, we buy car, we sell car. But the, the purchase these days is more like a kind of... High, it can be a higher purchase. It's a higher purchase for three years often. You return it. Yeah. You, you but know. you're seeing things like carpooling. You're seeing you know, yeah, zip well, car type too, trends. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so that model is changing as well. And I think what this analyst concluded was the car, the automotive space, is one of the biggest industries ripe for some massive disruption. Yeah. In, in the same way that music has been disrupted, for example. So, uh, yeah, we haven't written about cars here. I wish we had now. It would have been perfect. <laughs> Maybe we can do another. another <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, there's the, the leisure and, and retail trend, I think. Right. And online often. And so, online. so that, that has. has but, I, but I think, you know, people are familiar with the idea that retail is, is in this change. The challenges are, I think, not terribly well understood still. And they, yeah. haven't, they haven't found the solution. And it's still very much a moving feast. Yeah. And, yeah. and that means that there are still lots of costs to be sunk through. IT investment and so forth. Um, don't think that just because the tech bubble burst 14 years ago that they've 
found any solutions yet. No. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? No. But, I mean, someone like Primark, for example, is a, is a good yeah. example of, uh, of a company that really captured the, uh, the, zeitgeist. the imagination, the zeitgeist, mm. that what, what the young consumer actually wanted. And that was stuff, cheap, lots, uh, throw away, buy, buy more, which is, uh, which is quite... Mm. I find that as equally distressing as pumping diesel pollution mm. into the air. Um, but that seems to be the way the world is going. You know, the, the, the tailored suit that you keep for a lifetime is uh, a thing of the past. Yeah, just buy go. another one from Primark. That's right. What is even more depressing is uh, the fact that young people avoid the pub. But I guess the, the upside is that that leaves it empty for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of which, Brandy, you've done the sex focus this week on the hospitality industry um, and the impact of the living wage. So, yeah, on the subject of pubs, um, obviously, which is a big part of the hospitality sector, um, the Resolution Foundation did a great report and it showed that um, 46% of all those affected, which is equivalent to 2.7 million people, work in just three industries, one of which is hospitality. And um, potentially even worse for hospitality, nearly every second employee, so 48% of people, um, will be imp- impacted. And this is quite a big impact because the national living wage will um, it kicks off in April. Uh, it starts at seven pound twenty, and the government is hoping to reach uh, I think it's nine pound thirty five by twenty twenty. So there's potentially a big cost there for these types of companies who very often do employ you know a younger generation. Uh, Tim Martin over at Weatherspoons, who we've uh, sort of kind of mentioned earlier in this podcast. You've mentioned him every week for the yeah, well, we, <laughs> past few weeks. He just says some good stuff, you know. So um, he he in the recent results said that pub wages are equal to 30% of sales so obviously if wages are going to rise for pubs that could be um, a significant impact obviously JD Witherspoon does focus on selling things low cost so you could argue the impact on JD Witherspoons could be greater than other pubs that sell a more expensive pint um, but yeah it's one, one for investors to watch out for um, companies like Restaurant Group they kind of predict the first year's cost will be about £2 million to them which isn't too much for a group that size part of that is because they employ a lot of skilled kitchen staff who are already paid above this national living wage level so um yeah it's important to kind of keep an eye on the um pub restaurant stocks um have a look at the sector focus we've got we've named a couple of favorites and a couple of outsiders and there are some potentially supportive trends obviously while wages are going up you know inflation is quite benign so food costs if you're a pub that sells food are quite low and also corporation tax you know george osborne is doing um, the companies a favor there by reducing it but yeah i think that the wage the rise in wages probably does you know, outweigh the reduction in corporation tax. So, um, yeah, it's one for investors to be uh, careful about. And um, please check out the um, Resolution Foundation report as well. We've got an um, expert view uh, from one of the co-authors of it, of it Connor D'Arcy. So um, he's okay. be good to um, read his views. Okay. Well, hopefully, we'll put a few more quid in the pockets of the uh, the young people, and uh, maybe they can afford to get on the housing ladder <laughs> one day if they want to. Okay, thank you, Bradley. Thank you, uh, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Graham, um, for uh, for your views today. Plenty of interesting stuff in the magazine beyond Volkswagen and beyond the cover feature. Uh, Algae Hall um, is back with another stock screen, high yield, free cash flow kings, uh, another cool king uh, screen that's been delivering great returns uh, since it's been run. Um, more in the news section. We've got some, some more fallout from the, the falling oil price in the engineering sector. Stephen's taken a look at the very unsurprising uh, decision not to raise interest rates over the, in the US in taking stock. Uh, usual tips, results uh, in the magazine this week. And obviously plenty in the personal finance and fund section, which they will be talking about on their podcast tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm sure next week won't be as exciting. Uh, but we always say that. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You pick up the magazine uh, in all good news agents, £4.50, and we'll chat again next week. See you later. Bye-bye.